Thank you, Gordon and Barbara, for our music this morning. Welcome to those of you joining us on live stream. This is a unique Sunday morning uh, today because of the events that are happening in our world, especially in the country of Ukraine. Because of that, I'm bringing a, a message just based on those circumstances and what is happening from a Christian point of view and from a local church and from uh, those who have brothers and sisters and loved ones in that country, I want to speak to that this morning. We just read a few minutes ago from Hebrews 11 and ended with the statement of whom the world is not worthy. And I want to talk to you today about uh, our Christian brothers and sisters when they're suffering. Uh, truly, the world is not worthy of those kind of, of uh, good saints that are going through this. You have an outline uh, beside you uh, and in your bulletin if you're here in our auditorium. But let me say a few things by way of introduction to lead up to this and why I want to kind of give you the burden that's on my heart today. Let me speak to you uh, by way of introduction, first of all, as a 21st century Christian, <laughs> secondly, as a pastor, and thirdly, as an American, as a 21st century Christian, I speak on behalf of many brothers and sisters uh, in Ukraine, people that I know, I have been in their homes, I've been in their churches, they've been in my home here, and my heart really goes out to them in, in a great way. As a matter of fact, uh, I have a vested interest in Ukraine and the ministry there, uh, first of all, because I married a Ukrainian girl. And when I did, uh, I became uh, part of a Ukrainian family, and my children did. As a matter of fact, my wife bought me a shirt. I don't know if you ever saw this. And uh, the shirt says, my wife is Ukrainian, nothing scares me. And when she bought me this shirt, I said, do I have to wear it? She says, yes, and wear it proudly. <laughs> and so, you know, I will be wearing this shirt this week. <laughs> Anne's father, Peter Slobodian, uh, was born in Ukraine. Her mother was born in Belarus. Uh, well, her family was, and then they all had to flee to South America before World War II when the Nazis and everyone else coming into Ukraine uh, in, the, in those terrible days. Well, they fled the persecution uh, of, the, of the Soviet Union when Stalin was starving to death. Almost six million Ukrainians uh, of his own people at that time. They were able to flee to South America. If you were poor, that's where you went. And uh, Peter uh, was left behind at 12 years old and found his, own, found his way to South America to join his family. The family found Christ in South America, and uh, that's where Peter and Mary were married. And Anne was born in South America and Sam uh, in Argentina. And then they came to the States because Peter at that time had become an evangelist, even in South America, wanted to come to the States for more education, and he did. Uh, Debbie then, the third child, was born in the States. And uh, in those days, uh, there was no way to minister back to your people in the Soviet Union uh, under the Iron Curtain. And so 
Peter and many other men of his generation began to preach on shortwave radio behind the Iron Curtain across all of those time zones. And it was a wonderful ministry, but you never knew what was happening, what, how it was being received and the rest. And so uh, he and Sam in 1984 began the ministry B-I-E-M, and uh, in those days you just preached and bought time on shortwave radio and sent it across the, you know, the country and hoped for the best. Well, when the gates opened, the, door, the wall came down, they found that thousands of people had been listening to these kinds of broadcasts and were saved, and then they were able to have the great ministry that they still have going on there now. I, re I remember 1956, maybe you do also, when Nikita Khrushchev was, had his shoe off pounding on the pulpit saying to America, we will bury you. I was six years old, and I remember what an influence that had on me as a six-year-old, that saying that we will bury you, and when the Soviet Union is saying things like that to you, uh, it's scary uh, to a child, and no doubt it's scary to a lot of, of uh, young Ukrainians uh, in that country right now. The good news is that in 1989, we buried the Soviet Union. <laughs> And uh, through strong leadership that we had at that time, through Ronald Reagan, uh, he borrowed a Russian proverb, trust and verify. And uh, that's exactly what he did when he faced down the Soviet Union, and basically it fell apart. Well, in 1990 and 91, I went to Russia and Ukraine with Peter and with Sam, and it was amazing what was happening at the time, how open the people were after 70 years of, of oppression, communist oppression in the Soviet Union. You could preach anywhere. Peter would preach on the, on the street corners, and he was bilingual. He could, he could speak the Ukrainian or the Russian. His mother was Polish, and you know that's how people over there are. And people would run to you to get the Bibles, to get the tracts, to listen to the preaching of God's Word. It was truly amazing coming from this country and going there and seeing that at the time. The underground churches were coming out, you know, above ground, and, and we were invited to public schools to, to preach the gospel and tell the kids about Jesus Christ, whereas in this country you weren't even allowed to do that. So it was an amazing day uh, in that time. Now, during that time, I met some wonderful people, pastors and their wives, and I was in their homes and in, in their churches. And we here at Faith Baptist Church support four of those men. There are many more. Let me tell you their names because you who are members of our church here know them and have prayed for them. But uh, just a quick update, Losha and Alusha, and I'll, I'll not say their last name for safety reasons. They're in Chernihiv. If you, when you see the map on today's news of where the Russians are pouring into Ukraine, at the very top where Belarus is, you'll see a red arrow right over Chernihiv. Our missionary is right there. The first place the, soldier, the Russians came in is right through his town. But we know also that he has many refugees and other people collected in the basement of his house, and they've turned his church into a bomb shelter, and uh, he is ministering to those people with the gospel, uh, being faithful there with them. Vitaly and Katerina in Ternopil, that's to the west. And as people are fleeing to get to Romania and get to the western countries, 
uh, they have no place to go and no place to stay, and they have been taking them in, and their house uh, is full of beds and the rest. That's why we immediately sent $1,000 uh, to help with the relief so they could uh, uh, serve these people. Zhenya and Sophia, Vitaly and Alina, pastor in Ukraine, or excuse me, in uh, Kiev, Ukraine, and they are doing the same thing. They're in Kiev. Uh, so while good Ukrainians are taking up arms and defending their country in a wonderful way, uh, the pastors are busy, busy people taking care of the refugees and preaching the gospel to them in, in a great way. So when I woke up Thursday morning this week, as you did, and saw the news and said to myself, oh, no, this is actually happening and seeing where those Russians are coming through and seeing what's happening. You know, Ann and I were driving home from Atlanta and all day long trying to find news on the radio, you know, just to hear, get updates of, of what is happening. Uh, thankfully, through uh, Sam Slobodian and BIEM, there, there are updates on his website and uh, videos and so forth from over there. So... Uh, a lot of good things, a lot of bad things going on, plus a lot of other missionaries. A lot of, uh, we, we support Derek and Julie Thomas, who had to come home, and you can imagine where his heart is right now when things happen like this at the end of the week. So no doubt, uh, many good people, good uh, uh, missionaries. I know an American a missionary family who couldn't get out, and they were still trying to get out. Uh, but they're there ministering to their people, uh, like uh, everybody else is. So as a Christian, half Ukrainian, uh, my concern and heart is there with them. As a pastor, I want to say that I, I should, as a pastor, speak to my people you here in this church, but I know through, uh, through our internet and, and uh, live streaming and, and Facebook and all the rest, uh, this message, I hope, reaches our missionaries, and I want to say to them, we're with you, and we're praying for you, and, and I hope that uh, God is gracious to you, and I think he will be. We should be alarmed, but we should keep our head about us. We cannot look forward in time, but we can look back, and this isn't a time to be alarmed. It isn't a time to be a date setter, which I've heard some people do. It's easy to say, well, these circumstances that we are seeing are going to be the battle of Gog and Magog. You don't know that. It could be if the Lord would come back, but we're not in the tribulation period right now because the rapture hasn't happened. And even if you don't believe in a rapture, if you say this is the battle of Gog and Magog, you're being a date setter and you may be very embarrassed when things happen. As a matter of fact, even the news today was that it's pretty amazing what those Ukrainians are able to do in turning back that Russian army. So anything can happen. So we don't set dates. We know God can do what he wants. If the Lord comes back in the, you know, shortly, praise the Lord, we'll all be happy. If he doesn't, then he'll be faithful. What we can do is look back, and we can look back to what God has done and how he's been faithful to his people in difficult circumstances throughout history. And we'll do a little about, uh, of that this morning. That's why you have the outline that you have. One more thing, by way of introduction. As an American, I have to say that I'm saddened by the U.S.'s lack of resolve 
and also for a lot of other countries uh, around Europe. Uh, that's too bad. And yet, at the same time, I am very encouraged by the Ukrainian people, aren't you? I mean, this is something, you know, this is the first time one country has invaded another in Europe since World War II, before our lifetime, most of us. And yet, have we ever seen a country do what they're doing? Have we ever seen such resolve? President Zelensky is to be congratulated. You know, our president said to him, here, why don't you run? We'll give you a place to go. And he said, uh, I, don't, I don't need a ride. I need help. <laughs> and there he is like a captain on a ship saying, uh, I'll be the last person off this ship or I'll go down with the ship, but I'm staying till the last person's gone. And that's what he has done. And you see these Ukrainian people turning back the Russian army. I saw a picture of a 73-year-old grandma being taught how to shoot a rifle. She's lying on the ground with a helmet on, and they're showing her how to shoot the, shoot the rifle, and she's, she intends to do it, too. I, I heard about another family who they, they were given some relief money to get to the border of Romania. They got to the border, a, a young husband and, and wife and children, and they got to the border and they stopped and they turned around and said, we can't leave. And they went back to help their people. So this is happening all over. And uh, it really is a great thing. The Ukrainians are putting the world to shame by their resolve and the lack of resolve in the world, by the world around them. Now, if they begin to get the victory, then everyone will want to jump on board. But uh, so be it. But that's why I chose as a title for my message from Hebrews chapter uh, 11, of whom the world is not worthy. And so I want to uh, quickly review with you 10 passages of Scripture that show the faithfulness of God in uh, difficult situations. So number one, and if you can turn uh, there to these, fine. If not, I'll read them to you. But uh, number one is from 2 Kings 6.17 about Elisha and his servant boy. About 700 B.C., Elisha was the prophet of God after Elijah had, had been translated to heaven. Jehoshaphat was the good king of Judah, but Syria was their enemy. Naaman, the, the commander of the Syrian army, had been healed from his leprosy by Elisha. And when the Syrians came into Israel and invaded the land, they came right to Dothan where Elisha lived because they were afraid of the prophet. And they realized that they had to take care of God's man before they could take care of anything else. And if you remember the story, here's the entire Syrian army surrounding this little town of Dothan. And Elisha's in the house with a servant boy. And the, the servant looks out of the window, and he sees this army, and he says to the prophet, what can we do in light of all of that? 2 Kings 6, 17 says, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Sometimes we just need to remember, don't we, that God is there and all of his heavenly host. 
Hebrews 1, by the way, reminds us of that heavenly host. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who shall be heirs of salvation? They're all around us. And to those good people in Ukraine right now, the angels of God are all around. And God will be in control and do what he wants to do. Number two, in 2 Chronicles 34, 21, Josiah, the king of Israel, or king of Judah, found the book of the law in the temple. Now, Judah was the righteous nation of its day. Uh, they were supposed to be the spiritual leaders of their day. But God was judging Judah because they had departed from their God and left the word of God. And we're not following God's law anymore. So young King Josiah becomes king at eight years old. <laughs> at eight years old, and he reigned for 31 years. So uh, uh, he was a good king of Judah. And one of the good things he did was to, to clean up the temple and reconstruct the, the mosaic law and, and uh, worship that should have been there. While they were cleaning out the temple, they found the Bible. Amazing, isn't it? The Old Testament, of course, to us. And God's Word had been lost in the temple, and they hadn't read it or followed it for years. And this young king comes to, uh, uh, to the throne, and they bring him the Bible, and he, the law, actually, of Moses, and he reads the law of Moses. And when he reads it, he's struck in his heart that they have not followed it. And here's what he says in, in uh, verse 21. Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. Today, the great nations of the world have lost God's word, and we have lost the, wor the true worship of God, and God's judgment is upon us. And we need to be careful uh, when we realize uh, who God is and what he does. The so-called Christian nations of the world, from Germany to the UK to the US, we've forgotten God and, and lost his word, and the judgment of God may be upon us. Number three, though, and from the same time frame, actually, about between 600 and 500 B.C., we have a, a beautiful psalm, Psalm 137, about the captives in Babylon. Now, the Babylonians had come in. They had taken the, the Jewish people captive, uh, taking them out of their land, back to Babylon. They were forced to adapt to the Babylonian culture and religions and things like that. But uh, they were gathered together, and they would gather together, and uh, they were told by the Babylonians, sing us one of your songs. Sing us one of your old songs. We want to hear it. Well, here's what the writer of the psalm in 137 says. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there, those who carried us away captive required of us a song. Those who plundered us requested myrrh, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. And they answer, How shall we sing the Lord's song 
in a foreign land or a strange land. It's sad when people get carried out of their own land. It's sad when they can't worship and, and live the way they always have, and they're told to be happy about it and not, uh, don't worry about it. For 70 years, the Ukrainians were under the USSR. For 70 years, they were told what to speak and how to worship, and the true worship of God had to be underground. But for 30 years, from about the time the Soviet Union collapsed until now, a little more than 30 years, they've enjoyed their homeland again. They have worshipped. Churches have blossomed. The gospel is preached there. It's a wonderful land. I've been there many times uh, uh, during these years. And now they are faced with the communist culture again, faced again with, with oppression, saying, oh, well, sing, us, sing us one of your songs. And they're saying, how can we sing those songs uh, in a culture like this. And Christians face that same thing even where we are. I think of the beautiful mandolins that I've heard in their service and the harps and the guitars even and the other instruments that the Ukrainians love to sing and they love to sing God's word with their instruments. They could be silenced again going back under something like the Soviet Union. We should pray for them that this doesn't happen to them. Fourthly, Ezekiel, a person living about the same time, around 500 B.C., Ezekiel was among the second wave of captives that were taken from Israel to Babylon. And uh, he was there as a priest among his own people, and uh, he would gather together with them, as many of our, the, the, the Ukrainian pastors are doing even now, gathering their people together, Ezekiel 3.15 says, Then I came, Ezekiel says, Then I came to the captives at Tel Aviv who dwelt by the river Chabar. And notice this statement, I sat where they sat and remained there astonished among them seven days. I sat where they sat. You know, many Christian pastors and preachers will go with their people this week either to death or to captivity, but many of these great men that I know, I see them gathering their people together in basements and in churches and in, in subways and in bomb shelters and wherever they can go, and they're with them and they're sitting where they sit. They're saying, I'm here with my people. This is one interview I heard from a pastor just this morning. Uh, he, he said, this is our land. These are our homes. This is where we want to raise our children and grandchildren. And they're staying there, sitting where their people sit. We need to pray for them also that they'll be able to minister to them and to others. At the same time, number five, Daniel lived at that time. And you remember Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They were teenagers. They were captured and taken off to Babylon in those days. But Daniel of all of them, possessed a spirit of prophetic wisdom. He could tell dreams that God had given. And so King Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed a dream, and he couldn't interpret it. And so Daniel comes before him, and Daniel 2.20 says, Daniel answered and said, this is before Nebuchadnezzar, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and might are his. He changes the times and the seasons. Listen to this, kings of the earth. He removes kings and he raises up kings. He gives wisdom to wise 
and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. You remember Proverbs 21 that says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Beware, Vladimir Putin. As a matter of fact, beware Joseph Biden and Boris Johnson and Emmanuel Macron and Walter Steinmeier. You are water in God's hands. That's all you are. And God will turn it however he wants. The psalmist said to the kings of the earth, kiss the sun, S-O-N, lest he be angry with you and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Beware of what God is doing. Daniel had the, the nerve to say that to King Nebuchadnezzar. At the same time, Jeremiah was writing the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations in about 500, between 500 and 600 B.C. And Jeremiah watched. He, he stayed in the land and was not taken to Babylon, so he watched the city being ransacked and burned and destroyed by the Babylonians. And so he wrote a book called Lamentations when he's lamenting what is happening to his city. I can imagine many people doing the same thing right now. Well, he writes the book of Lamentations, which is five chapters, and it's an acrostic, which means the first Two it's based on the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, each verse beginning with the, the next letter of the alphabet. So chapters 1 and 2 both have 22 verses, each based on the Hebrew alphabet. Chapters 4 and 5 each have 22 verses based on the Hebrew alphabet. But chapter 3 has 66 verses, the first three based on the first letter, the next three based on the second letter, and so forth. And so right in the middle of chapter 3, in this lamentation of what is happening to their city, we find these great words in verse 22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in Him. In the saddest of times, God's people have been able to say, God is faithful. We sang it this morning in our service. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There's no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. And I say to our brothers and sisters in Ukraine or anywhere else, in the saddest of days, in the middle of our lamenting, God is faithful and he will always be faithful. Number seven, at the similar time, you remember Queen Esther, do you not? Again, uh, she lived then into the time uh, of the Persians, and Esther was a beautiful Jewish girl, and because of her beauty, she was chosen to be the queen to a Gentile king, Ahasuerus. And the king decided he would kill all the Jews. He was tricked into making that decree, but he made it. And so all the Jews were to be killed. Well, Esther's uncle Mordecai was encouraging her because she was the queen to go before the king and to plead for her people. And of course, this was dangerous. It could cost her her life. But in Esther 4.14, 
Mordecai says, if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet notice, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. God has designed the circumstances to bring you here at this time. And then Esther answers her uncle and says, So I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. What bravery she had. And yet God delivered her and the Jewish people uh, from the decree of the king. Great Christians of Ukraine and other good people, we're proud of you. We're proud of, of, of what you have done, saying, if I perish, I perish, but I have to do the right thing. Praise the Lord for that. God has brought you to the world for such a time as this, and we're thankful for it. Our churches are thankful. The Christian people are thankful. Our pastors uh, and all are thankful for your bravery. And be faithful to God, because God's rewards are eternal. Number eight. Before we leave that time frame, Ezra was returning to the land closer to 400 B.C. And Ezra uh, returned with some Jews back to Jerusalem. It was in shambles, and he and Nehemiah and others are going to try to rebuild this city. Uh, he had uh, been in captivity, but he had been released. And he comes back and he praises God that God lets them come back to the land. And in verse 8 of chapter 9, Ezra says, Now for a little, a little while grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape, to give us a peg or a nail in his holy place, that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. God had given Ukraine 30 years of a little uh, uh, relief from their bondage, a, a, a peg, a nail in his holy place. And he can give much more, and he will. We should pray, folks, for the preaching of God's word and the ministry there to last a little longer. If God has brought them to the time as this, and they uh, are willing to die if they die, and yet saying, God, give us a little uh, reviving in our bondage. We should pray that it can. Now, let me move to the New Testament just as we come to the end of these verses to Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 1, Peter, of course, was living during the times when the Jewish people had to be scattered from their land again by the Romans and also by famine, and uh, they had gone up to the northern countries uh, to Galatia and above. And while they're there, including believers, many Jews had to flee, but the believers were among them. As a matter of fact, Peter calls them both strangers and elect brethren. So in 1 Peter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, all those areas up there, by the way, just under the Crimea today. And then in verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God knows who you are. God knows you are His. God will take care of His own. As a matter of fact, in chapter 4 and verse 1, Peter will say, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, 
Arm yourselves with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And so, brethren, be faithful to those who are scattered abroad, and God will be faithful to you. And so number 10, back to Hebrews 11, just a summary again of what has been said. Here we find a list in Hebrews 11 of believers who suffered for, for God all throughout those Old Testament times. And though we read many more verses, let me read just 37. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. And verse 38 says in a parenthesis, of whom the world is not worthy. When people have to live under such conditions, and we don't, when we live in our luxury and we don't pay attention to much of anything else, they are suffering for God. The world is not worthy of those kind of people. And praise the Lord for them when that happens to them. If the world stands by and watches people suffer and die, then they are the unworthy ones. And so let's pray for these people. Let's continue to do it. In conclusion, I have one more verse, and that's Genesis 8.22. When Noah got off the ark and the world was brand new and judgment had been brought by God, but now the judgment was over, God said this in Genesis 8:22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. God is still in control. I got up this morning as I do early and looked out at the night sky to the east and the moon was just coming up above the horizon that that slither of a waning moon still left but large and majestic and above that moon was Venus the morning star looking like a headlight in the sky and not long after that here comes that beautiful sun at least we're having that in Kansas City I should say as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and as a strong man to run the race as the psalmist said and it will happen again tomorrow and the day after that, and the day after that, until God says we're done. And so never lose hope that God is in control. Second Peter 1.19, Peter said it like this, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. So, Christians of the United States, let's pray for our Ukrainian families and brothers and for that country. Pray for the peace of Israel. We should do that. And pray for God's people wherever they are in the world until the Lord comes and the day star shines in our hearts. Stand with me, if you will, as we have thought about these things. I want to pray with you. And I hope that uh, whoever is listening to this uh, may be encouraged by what we've read this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, how we know great is your faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning. And Father, we saw them this morning. We'll see them again tomorrow. And Father, so as we have always prayed for our brethren, wherever they are in the world, and our good missionaries that minister to them and those great pastors of those people in those lands. And Father, we pray for 
those in the country of Ukraine today. And as they have been brave and withstood uh, the powers of an invading army, we pray, Father, for their greater success. We pray that you would keep peace and freedom in that country for the churches, for the preaching of your gospel, for good people, Father, uh, who love you and want to be left to worship you. So, Father, we pray for them, for your protection. We know that surrounding that Russian army is the host of heaven who work for us and minister to us. So, Father, we ask uh, through the mercies and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that you would, that you would do good and spare uh, them uh, persecution through this. And, Father, whatever may happen, we know your people will be faithful. We know that they will follow you. We just pray, Father, for open doors uh, and open worship. So bless in these things. Cause us, Father, to have our hearts and minds uh, in the right places we think about these things. We'll thank you for these things always in Jesus' name. Amen. Gordon's going to come and lead us in a song as we think about these things. Gordon, come ahead. <laughs> 